It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I'm excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Guy Nirpaz, co-founder and CEO of Tutango, a company that provides a customer success management platform. You know, as the economy turns more and more to recurring revenue or subscription models for software and services sales, focusing resources on the success of your customers and using and deriving value from the product you sell to them is rapidly evolving from something to which uh, lip service was sort of paid to. I mean, I Worked for a company, my first company in my career, though the CEO's theory of customer success was, you know, keep the customer surly but not rebellious. And, uh, you know, it's really evolved into something now. It's really an essential part of every business, especially, like I said, in the subscription model. So managing, nurturing, supporting, and succeeding with your customers and really reducing churn is a major driver of revenue growth. And we're going to talk about that today with my guest, Guy Nirpaz. Uh, Guy, welcome to the show. Hi, Andy. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So take a minute, fill out the introduction about yourself. Cool. Uh, I'm, uh, uh, my name is Ganyar Paz. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Tutango. I now live in San Francisco Bay Area, where the Tutango headquarters in, in San Mateo. Uh, I'm originally from Israel. I've spent most of my days in, uh, in Tel Aviv. And I've started Tutango in 2010 uh, to help companies tackle the challenge of customer success. Um, through the years, of course, there's been a lot of learning that I'm sure we're going to touch on. Um, I'm married, three kids, and having a lot of fun uh, in this amazing times of the industry. So did you come over in 2010 from Israel? No, we actually started the company 2010 in, in Israel, and uh, we still have the engineering team in Tel Aviv. Uh, where the the key talent is, and I've started uh, go to market operations in uh, in the Bay Area in 2012. So, how's that transition been for you? Um, it's been great. I mean, uh, from a business perspective, that was the the right decision to make. Um, I'm happy that I'm experiencing uh, new types of cultures and businesses, and that my family is exposed to that. Uh, we see ourselves as uh, citizens of the world, and this is um, very exciting for us. Oh, good. So family and kids are enjoying being in California. Yes, they do. And they also would like to go back to Tel Aviv, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> home so, is home, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, perfect. So where'd the name for Tutango come from? I mean, I, I, I think I know, but I mean, why don't you explain it? Yeah, so uh, the name is It Takes Two to Tango. Um, and basically the idea is that when we're dealing with, uh, when companies are now selling uh, subscription or pay-as-you-go models, they have to make sure that um, they are in sync with their customers uh, because customers now have choice and uh, it's easy to get on new systems and so it's very easy to get off those systems. So companies really need to be in lockstep with their customers. So that's the tango. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I was even looking at it from a different, slightly different perspective, which is an expression here, especially when like uh, two parties are disputing, some, uh, you know, who originated a particular problem. 
yeah, at the end of the day, if you both admit that, uh, yeah, we both had some some involvement in creating this problem, the expression is, you know, it takes two to tango, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I I agree. Uh, you know, but we we were thinking about the more positive connotation. Of the <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is that I, I just bring though because that that so often applies when you're in a customer service situation. You know, customers calling and hey, we're just yeah, we've got a problem. It needs to be fixed. You guys aren't moving fast enough and so on and so forth. And so you get all this finger pointing. It's like at the end of the day, yeah, we both had had some uh, some involvement in that. So so for people who are sort of aren't in the the SaaS space or the you know, subscription services space and listening to the show, I explain what the customer success function is today. Cool. So let, let me step back a little bit and talk about the origins of customer success. Why, why there's a new thing called customer success. And it's actually very simple. Uh, we've seen a tremendous uh, shift in the business model where companies are selling their services in subscription, right? So that's uh, a subscription pays you go. And the reason that they do it is because this is what their clients expect them to do. Customers now want to have choices. Um, so there well, business- and the technology enables it as well in a way it didn't before, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. So the, the, the main thing is, or one of the things is recurring revenue. The second thing is, of course, the digital nature of new businesses where you actually can distribute very easily solutions across the web and it's very easy to consume right uh, and and together what it does it actually makes um, you know great uh, business model for consumers and, and businesses to you know look on the web and then find a solution subscribe to it and start using it immediately but at the same time it's also very easy for them to drop off the the solution and the role of the customer success strategy of a company and the customer success organization is to proactively impact uh, the customer lifetime value, proactively ensure that customers do not churn, and proactively ensure that they that they retain and they grow. And there's all sorts of strategies to that they need to uh, deploy in order to actually be successful at that. So I'm wondering, in, in this whole customer success evolution within the subscription and pay-as-you-go business, I would think that people went back and studied the history of the you know, premium channels and cable, which, you know, were subscription business with a high degree of churn. I mean, we're talking, you know, high double digit turn virtually every month. Um, you know, are there a lot of lessons that, that people took from that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, one of our uh, drivers for the, for the idea was actually the telco industry. Uh, that you know, uh, we've been paying for telco uh, services, whether it's data, voice, uh, you know, content, like the uh, cable business. Um, th- these companies have uh, have realized that they, you know, this is a major part of their business. I mean, the statistics shows that in mature subscription businesses, uh, there's more money to be made from your existing customers than from new customers, and when companies want to grow or even sustain their business. They need to pay attention, and and I guess the key lessons learned from from that uh, point of view, and I think in, in the in that regard, there was even less choice, uh, is the importance of value, right? So at the end of the day, because people have choice to cancel, what companies need to make sure is that they are creating value and ever ongoing value to their customers, that will motivate them to keep within the service, uh, because. 
subscription is not free and there is a decision that the subscriber is making every time that they need to repay for the subscription uh, in order to counter this decision they need they, they basically what goes in their head is is it worth it should I am I going to continue using it or not and the only counter for that is are, that are they actually getting value from their services yeah and you use a statistic on your website that 82% of revenue I think it was 82% revenue comes from existing accounts yes exactly I was saying that the bigger come the, the bigger you become uh, it becomes 70, 80, and even 90% of your existing revenue comes from your existing customers. Uh, and this is what makes customer success um, a big thing today because with the proliferation of thousands and tens of thousands of subscription businesses and services today, both in consumer and in the uh, B2B space, uh, this problem becomes uh, paramount in the business model or challenge you know, and, and companies are trying to kind of figure out a way to do it uh, now when you know of course I was saying proactively impacting customer lifetime value but you also need to think about the cost of it so this is where uh, you know they need to start thinking of how do they actually um, uh, become uh, in front of the problem. How do they? Uh, how do they make sure that what they do is actually impacting, and how do they do it in a way that is scalable and doesn't take all of the profit just to retain a customer? Right. So, I mean, part of the thought is that using systems that are data driven give you some predictive analysis capabilities into the, what the customer is doing and the usage patterns and you know various touch points they have is that you can. As you said, sir, be ahead of the curve with that and anticipate problems and then maybe not need as big of a team that's manning the phones, answering questions. That is true. I, I, that is true. I mean, data-driven approach is, 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 I mean, you mentioned that it's the proliferation of technology uh, and digital services. And one of the advantages of digital services is that they leave uh, a usage footprint. And this usage footprint could, could be used in order to... Uh, to determine if a customer is actually happy, what they do and what they actually don't do, and how often they do it, and how deep they do it in, in the product, is a very good indication of the value they're getting, right? If I'm subscribed to Netflix and I'm watching a movie once uh, once a month, it does tell Netflix something about uh, my probability to retain as a long-term customer. And if I'm watching Netflix a few hours a day, like my kids, right? Uh, <laughs> then obviously there's very low uh, likelihood that I'm going to cancel because there's value in the service. Um, so th yes, the digital footprint is, is giving you uh, a lot of uh, information to, to get ahead of it. So within organizations that you're seeing that are have set up customer success teams, seems to be sort of a, you know, a fair amount of variability in terms of how they're structured and where they report within the organization. So for you know, managers that are listening and CEOs and, and so on, you know, what are you seeing as sort of, you know, best practices to where customer success fits within the organization? You know, I've, in some cases, I know they report directly to the CEO, other times part of sales, other part, you know, sales ops. I mean, it, it seems to have varied. Yes, that, that is true. And, and, and I mean, you talk a lot about in your, uh, uh, your show about, you know, methods of sales, um, and the way sh people should structure their organization and the way they should actually build the machine of sales. And I'm, 
and I'm referring to customer success as yet another machine that the organization needs to uh, to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, the first the first part of this mach- machine, even before determining where they should sit, is to define the goals of customer success, and the goals should be all about uh, dollars, should be all about revenue, right? I mean, the goal of uh, the customer success organization is the revenue from existing customers. Uh, and this is how they should be measured. And the reason why this is important because this aligns the entire organization to actually take the right actions in order and determine the right priorities. Now, from uh, from uh, 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 reporting perspective, again, customer success, uh, or if we look at the customer journey and the customer success processes or activities that are relevant, I would, uh, at very broad stroke, would categorize them into four stages within the customer cycle. Onboarding is to get ramp, uh, ramping new customers. Nurturing is what you do with your existing customers. Uh, renewal is the transaction that you run once every year, every month to renew a customer and upsell when customer determines that they want to buy more out of you. Um, so, uh, I mean, the modern organization that I'm seeing are uh, putting customer success leadership uh, under the CEO or under the COO, uh, but some of them own uh, onboarding uh, and nurturing, some of them own all the cycle, onboarding, nurturing, renewal, upsell, and it's very much dependent on, I guess, a little bit the type of product that they sell and also the maturity of the organization, whether it's... uh, organization that is going through from a transition from a, a different licensing model to recurring revenue model or it's a fresh new organization that decides that there is the team that's responsible to lend accounts and there's a team that is responsible to grow accounts over time. Okay. So what are the biggest challenges that customer success teams are facing right now? I would say that the first, the, the biggest challenge right now is that they're very much misunderstood within their organizations. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of CEOs and executives uh, don't really understand and distinguish uh, the difference between uh, um, support, service, account management, customer success, and for that reason, I would uh, for that uh, 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 problem, I would suggest um, you know a little bit of a customer. Uh, Facing thinking. Uh, let's look at, uh, at, at the reasons for retention or churn or uh, upsell, and and this define that as outcomes, right? So if a customer mm-hmm. renews or or churns, this is an outcome. And then let, let's look at the drivers. And once organizations uh, realize that there are drivers and outcomes, the drivers are all the things that you do in onboarding or nurturing to make sure that the customers get value. So by the time they need to make a decision with regards to renewal or growth, uh, they're ready uh, to do so. And once the organization starts to understand that and they don't um, wait for the customers to report on problems, but they want to get ahead of it and they are starting to uh, adopt the customer success mindset as a team. Because, it, it I mean, if we're looking at drivers, if we want customers to get value from the product, it's not just a team that is doing it or a customer success team. Sometimes it's product, sometimes it's marketing, sometimes it's sales as well. But this mindset of drivers and outcomes is what really 
determines whether an organization is going to move quickly on the path for uh, customer success. Yeah, and you you talk about you know CEOs that it sounds like what you're saying is that it's almost a little bit old fashioned. Like some of the CEOs are still thinking about support as a cost center rather rather than something that drives revenue. That's true. I, I think the difference between um, you know there, there's one thing that I, I, I usually kind of use is what's the operational model of customer success, right? Because sometimes people think, you know what, this is it's basically like sales, so let's use a pipeline model. Um, and how do we determine the pipeline? We will look at renewal date and you know subtract mm-hmm. 45, 45 days, and right. this is our pipeline for renewal. The challenge with that uh, is that by the time uh, customers get to renewal, they all, it is already determined if they're going to renew or not. So you're not really proactive. You're just you know trying to run a process, but without any ability to impact its outcome. Some people think about customer success that are coming from different backgrounds. You know, it's basically project management. Let's you know onboard new customers, which right. is true. Onboarding actually is a project, but what happened post onboarding? What do you do? Do you wait for renewal? Or do you do some more things uh, uh, as well? Uh, some people think it's just account management. You know, let's call in to customers and get their feedback. This is not very scalable uh, today. Or like, like what you just suggested, it's it's a it's a support organization. We'll wait for the customer to tell us that they're not happy, and we will solve their problem when they call. The problem with that is ninety percent of the customers are never going to call you. Yeah, they're just, uh, they're just going to change when they're unhappy when the time comes. Yeah, exactly. So they will make the term, they will make the decision to to churn way before their contract uh, uh, ends. Right? They will go and do something else. So at the, at the heart of it, customer success is a practice of portfolio management. You have many many customer different stages with different needs, and the challenge of customer success team is to figure out who needs their attention, what do they need, and how could they support them in order to maximize renewals and and upsell and and this shift in in thinking which requires companies to really think from the customer lenses when does the customer really make the decision to continue right they don't make this on the day of renewal they make it way before that well it's just like uh, a, yeah and it's just like sales in general and decisions made way before the choice the you know the the word is given to you as a vendor that, that is that, that is very very true and uh and, and if your business is dependent on your ability to re- retain customers, you really need to take control over this process. You cannot wait for a customer to make a decision, notify you, and by then, you know, you know if you're going to grow or shrink, right? You really want to impact that. This is why I said in the beginning that it is, uh, uh, it, it is proactively, kind of getting ahead of it, impacting lifetime value, right? You do want to impact that. You don't want to wait, sit and wait. And sometimes that involves uh, product changes or pricing changes, or uh, but a lot of that is also needs to be controlled by someone who owns revenue from existing customers. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think back to the. I mean, I was a project manager at one point in my career. You know, helping customer onboard customers, large complex systems. Or, you know, not software as a service type systems, but uh, to your point, it's like yeah, our everything we learned was sort of after the fact. Right, and as and oftentimes it's so anecdotal too, because the the customer didn't have as much data on hand. And now, you know, you've, you talk about your system, we're gonna get into it here in just a second. Is is you can track to, as you said, you can track really the customer through their usage patterns, whether they're happy or not. The specific data about problems they may be having, 
adoption issues, which are huge, uh, especially on the software side. You know, if you bring on a new system and no, no one's using it, that's problematic. And you, you get information about that that just didn't exist before. Yeah, and this is this is really the the true transformation of uh, the digital age and digital businesses, and cloud services as well. When you know, in the era that when you and I deployed on-premise systems, uh, we wanted to have this information, but we couldn't. Right? It was no. like, uh, on customers' premise. This is, was their information. Uh, and now we're seeing a lot of companies, a lot of our clients are using this information to provide a much better. Uh, experiences and services to their customers. Um, you know, this is kind of an anecdotal idea. We've uh, had this new um, product feature which we call Success Beat, and it's basically ability to send weekly email to your customer mm-hmm. about about their usage. Right? I mean, this is what I mean. And many many great companies are doing that. Right? I mean, they're sending you what you're saying, how you use the product, and what other options you have to use it in the next few weeks, and so forth. Uh, and I had this conversation with several uh, CEOs of SaaS companies that didn't want to use it. They didn't want to expose to their customers the, you know, how they're using or not their service. Uh, and their rationale was, you know, if they will know, they may cancel. <laughs> and, and and my rebuttal to them was, yes, yes, they, of course, <laughs> they, they will eventually know. So you might as well. Want to encourage them to take advantage of what they have because they will cancel whether or not you want to uh, you want to tell them that or you want to know with them. So for that reason, I think this you know availability of data and uh, transparency of data that is available for the vendor and for the customer as well is something that could be used to uh, motivate uh, people to take advantage of what they have. Right. If I don't know oh, that yeah. I have it, I may not use it. Well, absolutely. I mean, you think about the case of CEOs you were talking about. It's like, okay, there is a reason the customer bought your service or your software in the first place, right? And so if they're not using it and they're not getting the the value out of it, then that's a problem somewhere. <laughs> you're, better, you're much better off fixing it proactively because it's, it certainly is going to ripple through the rest of your customer base. Exactly. Exactly, uh, and, and and it's just getting better and better in the sense that the things that we can learn about uh, about customers. I think kind of uh, now I'm seeing more and more companies using the data as their source of innovation. Right? They, mm-hmm. they're, they're they're finding patterns of you know use cases and adoption of their product that they haven't thought before. Right, and this gives them as an opportunity to innovate in new products or new packages or. Or you know, just having better customer base and happier customer base, and just continue to innovate. And that does not replace the anecdotal uh, customer feedback, but there's value in it because it covers 100% of your customers, 100%. And if you go with a survey model, you know, you have 10% of your customer base and the vocal ones and the ones that care enough to tell you what they think. Most of them don't. So people are busy. So that that. Gives companies great opportunities, and we've seen that companies in the uh, consumer world, uh, you know, the greatest companies in the world, like Google and Facebook and LinkedIn, are the companies that are using data to uh, validate or uh, uh, you know help them determine their hypothesis about you know the value that they're providing to their customers, and using that as part of the cycle. Of, of innovation and value delivery to their customers. Mm-hmm. 
Well, let's talk about Tutango for a second. So you sort of have three main categories you say you're really helping people with in driving adoption, reducing churn, and increasing upsell. So let's start with adoption. What what's you know where's your your role in that in terms of what your system does to help drive adoption and onboarding of the product? Sure. So at a very high level, I would say that Tutango was was built. Its foundation is on uh, customer and user and user monitoring system. So we basically connect uh, our customers, connect their systems to Tutango, and uh, and every time some a user is using a product, it reports an information to Tutango, and, and this builds over time a very rich uh, user models and, and account models. Um, that are being updated in real time, right? And it, because it's a time-based system, if someone uses the product today or not, it updates the model. Uh, and, and on top of that, there are a set of applications that enable you to use this information to drive the, the necessary outcomes that you're looking for. So in the case of uh, uh, adoption, it really gives you um, multiple dimensions of adoption, right? Uh, which companies are using a product and which are not, and in which frequency. And uh, what they do when they use your product, and are they using the stickiest features that you have or not, and uh, uh, and, and changes and trends over time and so forth. And what our comp- uh, customers are doing with that, they're uh, getting this information. They're building all sorts of programs to drive adoption. Programs could be introducing new capabilities to their clients or uh, welcoming new users. Uh, from an organization, when new users start to use, they guide them through what's available and how they can best use the product, or guiding people to use the features that you know are meaningful and they're not being used. And because they're able to know who's using it and who's not and in which level and so forth, they can target the communication, the message, the, uh, to drive the right outcome. And the way it's being measured is whether or not the the campaign or the engagement actually got people to adopt the product in, in, in further ways. Are the metrics of uh, daily active use or monthly active use or usage frequency or uh, usage of specific features, have they improved on the segment that you were targeting? And we're seeing amazing results in, in that regard because in many cases, as you mentioned, people buy product because they have a business problem. Now they need to translate it into how you know, you're actually using it, and are you aware of everything that happens? And we talked about uh, digital products. The rate in which companies add value to their products is, you know, it's very, very fast. Many companies mm-hmm. release uh, features every two weeks or every month or so. Uh, you can't expect customers to really keep pace with what you have. And in many cases, there's a lot. Of, there's a cycle in which you need to introduce this to them at the right timing so they take advantage of the value. And this is a very positive cycle that uh, with the ability to monitor what they do versus what you have to offer them and being able to impact that by communicating to them, training them and so forth, uh, we're seeing uh, adoption improvements across the base. Which then obviously leads to upsells. Yes, um, so upsell Upsell, I mean, the, the challenge with upsell, um, or, or let, let me put it differently. I, I think every customer goes through a journey, right? They mm-hmm. subscribe, they subscribe, 
they go through an onboarding period in which they need to get the first value. The first value is actually they've, you know, the, the initial promise has been delivered. Right. And then you want to make sure that they are continuously using the product or, or continuously getting the value. And, and for that reason, we call this period nurturing. And once a period, a uh, customer renews and goes back to nurturing, or they get to a point where they're eligible for a higher, uh, higher uh, a version of the product. So upsell is basically uh, intuitive or a natural progression of value that's being delivered before. And if we look at business models, it's either people buying more seats because their team has grown or they want to deploy the service to other parts of their organization. So that's upsell. Or upsell could be that they have maxed out the capacity and they want to buy some more capacity. Or upsell could be their added value capabilities that now that they understand the basics, they realize that they need some more. Mm -hmm. So everything that you do in the nurturing leads up to this upsell capabilities. And a lot of that is just making sure that there is a constant improvement in the consumption of uh, you know, a service to get to a point of, of an upsell. And from a, from a technical perspective, uh, you know, so Tango enables, because of the monitoring capabilities, enables customers, our customers, to identify uh, those clients that are meeting or close to the threshold on whatever dimension we talked about, capacity, utilization, adoption, and engage with them in an upsell, uh, upsell cycle. So who's, who's your ideal client profile? Our ideal client profile is a, is a company that uh, has a, a lifetime value business, mm -hmm. recurring revenue business, um, across the range, anywhere from very young startup companies with uh, tens of customers and a few million dollars in uh, annual run rate, uh, to enterprise businesses that are uh, deploying their new subscription models uh, who need to actually build the process around the customer journey from the time they subscribe and, and onwards. Uh, we're seeing a very uh, wide range right now, enterprise customer, mid-market companies, and also young companies who realize that they adopt the subscription economy, they adopt the subscriber-focused mentality, and they're building a strategy around how to make sure that customers are retained um, and, and grow over time. And new customers, where do they typically experience the ROI first? Um, so, so I think the first thing is, you know, it sounds obvious, but it's visibility. Uh, people want to impact lifetime value, but they don't know where to focus. Mm -hmm. So once they connect the data streams into the Tango, all of a sudden they see a view of, you know, their entire customer base, all of their subscribers, red, red yellow, green, you know, who's in a good shape, who's not, where they're at, just mapping out the customer base. And, uh, and, and, and uh, you know, I call this portfolio scorecard, looking at their portfolio and getting the scorecard uh, of, you know, where things are working well, where not. So now they can start focusing on, um, you know, really start improving what needs to be improved. Uh, I think in many cases in the beginning, they just don't know. Yeah, well, I think you're right, and I think this this concept that you, the metaphor you used of the the portfolio management, uh, is really a, a great way to look at it. Yeah, I, I agree, and, and so I mean, there there's some obviouses, right? I mean, now we know over time that you know the the, the period of onboarding is critical, and 
the time you you know keeping the momentum and getting customers to first value during onboarding is very very critical. Um, you know, making sure that you're touching base with your customers about value, nurturing them repeatedly uh, all across the organization, the decision makers, the economic buyer, um, uh, the, the, the users, you really need to, to, to look at that. Uh, I mean, so there are some obvious ideas, but, you know, really where, you need to, where do you need to focus first is, is hard. And then the follow-up values of, of Tutango is actually... Once you identify the areas uh, that you want to improve on, is to ap- apply the process. Uh, you know, build uh, the engagement uh, plan and the engagement tools to actually engage with your customers, whether through your people or directly with the end users, in order to um, you know continuously drive value and get them to a point of, of success. Even in cases where you need to identify escalations because they be- before they become on. Uh, you know, non-reversible, irreversible. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, we're going to move to the last segment of the show where I, I have some standard questions I ask all my guests. And uh, the first one is a, a hypothetical scenario I pose is that put yourself in this, imagine that you have now are just been hired by a, a company as their new sales leader and because their sales have stalled out and they need to get things turned around really quickly. So challenge for you is coming in as a new leader. What would you do in the first week? What two things would you do in the first week that could have the biggest impact? To me, I want to know why do customers buy? What is the promise that is being uh, sold to them? And secondly, go to the customer base and figure out, you know, what is the value they're actually getting? Being able to understand this gap or understand, you know, these perspectives will enable me to uh, define the first 90 days of sales. Okay, great answer. Very concise. Um, rapid fire questions for you. You can give me a one word answer. You can elaborate as much as you want. So, I mean, you've obviously been out. You've been selling to Tango. When you're selling, what's your strongest sales asset? I think I'm very authentic. Uh, because I'm very passionate about the customer success uh, space, and um, I really like working with uh, uh, our customers and understand their problems from their perspective, and share with them, you know, best practices that I've heard from others, and you know, thoughts and insights that we've learned through the years into Tango. Mm-hmm. So the, the authenticity is really a key key for me. When you came from a technical background before you started to Tango and and don't know how much sales experience you had, but you know, as you started selling more and more, who who'd you look to as your sales role model? Um I've been I've been working with great salespeople, kind of uh, you know, I, I had a a good friend and a great sales guy that uh, in my previous company in New York with uh, you know the directness and immediacy and uh, you know killer instincts, I've seen the West Coast salespeople as well. I don't have any particular person I'm picking and choosing the the areas that I like from other people. Um, I would also say that although I haven't been uh, you know a sales leader uh, before, one of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing today, I've always worked with customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, projects, engineering. Even when I was an architect at Mercury Interactive, I was once uh, 
once a quarter in the U.S. talking to customers. Uh, before I moved here, no matter where I worked, uh, once a quarter in the market, uh, that was that was always for me. So you know, I re I learned that the best insight for where you need to go is with your customer base. So okay, you know, I'm a customer's person. Next question then for you is. What's one book every customer success success manager should read? Uh, that's a good one. Uh, Farm Don't Hunt. <laughs> that's, a, that's a new book I'm working on. It's already available on Amazon for pre-order. Uh, that's your book. The, okay. Yeah, that's my book for <laughs> the, the practical guide for uh, customer success leaders. A lot of the ideas that we've talked today organized in a very nice way uh, by my co-writer, uh, Fernando Pizarro. And myself, but others that I've used is um, I like um, Inside Out. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, sorry, Outside In. This is the term Outside In. Uh, this is a great book on customer success. Uh, it allows um, people to think about the world from the eyes of their customers and not from the eye of their internal business processes and organization. Mm -hmm. And it made a great impression on me. All right. Well, I want to make sure I got a copy of your book. So um, was, this is a tough question, the toughest one I ask you most today, is uh, what music's on your playlist these days? <laughs> that, that's actually very easy for me <laughs> because uh, I'm, I'm playing uh, in, a, in a band with uh, you know, a couple of CEOs and VPs of customer success. So we have our Spotify playlist. And so what do, you, what do you cover when you play? So I can I can I can read it to you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> best answer yet. Yeah. Um, so we play back on the chain gang. We play learn to fly. We play under pressure. Mm -hmm. we play each other. All right. So sort of a mix. You got some uh, sort of classic uh, stuff yeah. in there. Yeah, seventies, eighties. Yeah. Rock. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. So. What's the last question for you is what's the first sales activity that you do every day? The first sales activity that I do every day, I look at my um, you know deals and customer to-do list that I keep there. I have my Evernote mm -hmm. to-do list around uh, customers and, and prospects. And I see who do I owe what and you know take care of that. Excellent. Well, good. Well, I want to thank you for joining me. My guest today has been Guy Nearpaz. Guy, how can people find out more about Tatango? Yeah, just head to our website, uh, www.tatango.com. I also want to uh, uh, encourage everyone to come to the fourth annual Customer Success Summit on the 21st, 22nd of March in San Francisco. It's a gathering of uh, many, many, uh, over 1,000 uh, customer success uh, professionals. Um, we're, we're, we've been doing this for the fourth year. It's an industry event, uh, bringing together the best uh, minds in customer success, so people can hang out, learn, uh, you know, change notes, and, and and learn more. Sounds good. Well, thank you for joining me. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And subscribing to this podcast is a great way to do that because then you won't miss any of our conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Guy Nearpaz, who share their expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. 
If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.